Good morning. That was very good. Way to go. That was very nice. Hey, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4, verses 38 to 40. Some of you may know me because I was the president of the Baptist Children's Home. I was also a pastor in Elma for five and a half years. And it is great to be in Michigan. We live in Gary, Indiana. And yes, you can sing the Gary, Indiana song. Uh, that's because I worked out of the office of the Children's Home, which is in Valparaiso. But Kathy and I are now uh, missionary appointees with ABWE for the country of Liberia, and we'll talk about that uh, to you later. I want to start off by telling a friend of mine, actually a good friend, and he sent me a video that came through Facebook, and I think it was actually put out by the Michigan uh, Secretary of State. And uh, what it was is a cautionary tale about distracted driving. And so in this video, and I'm I'm assuming the person taking the video was probably a parent of one of the children who was going to get off the school bus. And so you see the school bus going down the road, and behind the school bus is a pickup truck. And the school bus comes to a gentle stop, but then you look at the pickup truck, and it's not slowing down. And then at the last minute, you can see the pickup truck finally put on its brakes, and it starts to slide right on the road. And that's when you notice that there was a motorcyclist who came to a stop behind the bus and the pickup truck just slammed into the motorcyclist and sent him flying right under the bus. And uh, it was about distracted driving. Now I imagine that pickup truck driver was probably looking down at their phone or the radio or something that distracted that person from looking up. And just a sad cautionary tale all done with no, there was was nothing that needed to be said in there. You could just see it. And you know for us, it's easy to get distracted driving, amen? And it's also easy for us as Christians to get distracted distracted from what God wants us to do. And that's what we're going to look at in Luke chapter 4, verses 38 to 40. God wants us to be looking up and looking out at the world around us, and God has called us to do this, not simply to avoid accidents or problems, but to show God's love and God's grace to the people of this world, to represent him. So look at verse uh, 38 to uh, 40, Luke 40. And he arose, it's talking about Jesus here, and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked her fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, now when the sun was setting, all those, who had, any who were sick with various diseases, brought them to him, and he laid, laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. So really I hope this passage will kind of inspire us to look out, reach out, and touch the lives of people that God has brought into our lives for the express reason to show God's love in our love for them. So we're going to look at three ideas that I think are going to help to inspire us to really get going on our personal mission and to reach the world with the gospel and the love of God. And so the first one is to reach out and touch someone's life. But we want to look out first. Point number one, look out. Be actively interested and aware of how people are doing and how they're feeling around you. Be active about this. Look what it says. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. So just notice this. When one person was hurting, the others were hurting. 
When one person was hurting, the others were hurting. And here's where we see not just Jesus, but we see his disciples have this kind of empathy and sympathy for Simon's mother-in-law. Of course, we're talking about Peter here. So this is Peter's mother-in-law. And not only are they concerned about her, but they bring it to Jesus' attention. And so we kind of have to be careful because we are easily distracted. Amen? We, we just lose. We, we sometimes don't pay attention to the needs of others. I mean, even sometimes you think the thought, well, you know, people do get sick, you know. And, uh, you know, it's easy to say something like that until you're the one who's sick. Amen? <laughs> then all of a sudden sickness means something different to you. But, you know, we really have to be careful that we aren't kind of wandering around in our own little world with our own agenda and our own plans and our own concerns. You know, sometimes we just find ourselves, our heads are buried in our cell phone. Maybe we're on social media or video games or even just work has just, is all we think about. Or kind of this, that daydreaming life we lead where everything, we're just living someplace else even though we are one place. You know, in our minds we're someplace else. So we really need to work to be observant of others and the people around us because we should be, because of what Christ has done for us, good ambassadors for Christ. Amen? We represent Christ. And then, you know, it's easy to hear people say, and, and it's true in, in, in so many ways. It's like, you know, the world is just becoming a darker place. You know, we're in uncertain times. You know, we are confused. We're pressed on every side. It, it, you know, things, the world sometimes just seems like a darker place. And I would just say this. In a dark room, it's a great place to light a candle. Amen? To be a light. So instead of complaining and shouting at the dark, let's just light up a little bit and see how God doesn't use that in a dark world. The Bible makes it clear. It says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are what? Evil. It's even seen the... During the hard times, during the bad times, you need to take advantage of those. And, and you know God is using COVID. Do you know that? God is using this to bring people to himself. And he's also using it for Christians to sober up about their lives. And so God can definitely use this. I'm sorry I'm not wearing my mask today because I look better in a mask. So, but I'm, you're going to have, you're, I know I'm threatening like this. Well, I was making an appointment with a pastor to come and speak at their church. And I had actually made the appointment, and this was just a kind of a call to make sure everything was still on schedule. And I called him and I said, how are you? And it was interesting because he immediately went and started to talk about some of the people in his congregation who he had real concerns for and was praying for. So what turned into how are you really turned into He's giving me his prayer concerns. And so that meant that all of a sudden his prayer concerns are whose prayer concerns are my prayer concerns so that when I came in the church to speak, I could say to him, how is Mr. Cole doing? Because I had been praying for him. So just the point is, think about how just a little conversation like that, or even maybe you think is an innocuous how are you or what's up, turned in to a ministry opportunity. And so we have to be really working on trying to move our relationships to less of a superficial relationship to a deeper relationship with people. And uh, that can happen through asking good questions. And you know, relationships become missions. Amen? 
relationships become missions. And then sometimes I think as Christians, we think, well, something's got to change that's going to change this world. It's heading in the wrong direction. We need something big. But I just want to remind you, it's just true that most things start small. Amen? They start small. And we have to think small if we want to think big. And that means reaching out to people. So that means interacting with people. It means getting past the surface and really showing interest in other people in their joys and in their difficulties. Look at how the Apostle Paul put it. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. He said, Each of you should look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Isn't that funny? Because it seems like so, such a small thing. But here the Apostle Paul, who I think he has a pretty good feel of spirituality of people, he's, he's saying, you realize even you good people really don't pay attention to other people the way you should. And uh, so I think it's a good reminder. Then he goes on in Philippians uh, 2, verses 19 and 20. This is much stronger. He says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon so that you too may be cheered by, so, I, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. And he says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely, genuinely concerned for your welfare. Think about that. The Apostle Paul, who I'm sure knew spiritual people, interact with spiritual people, says this. He says, I know one other Christian who will genuinely care about you. That's a pretty sad indictment, wouldn't you say? I know one other person who will really be concerned about you. So imagine in Paul's circles, he's got two people who he really believes are the kind of people who can interface and really care about someone else's need. And I think it calls for us to try to be one of those two people, amen? That we would be those people who actually care. So look up and look out to discover how people are doing and feeling. And sometimes a sincere question like, how are you doing and meaning it? And what's new with you? Or even better, follow up with them on something you've talked to them about before. You know, we need to become more important in people's lives. And we do that by showing sincere interest in them. And so that means things like their family, their kids, their hobbies, or whatever their interests are. And people all the time have things about the way they dress, about the way they talk. People are screaming for attention in all kinds of ways. It's funny because you'll even see some Christians that get offended by someone will have a big tattoo or their hair will be the wrong color and they, ooh, you know? Well, if that isn't a message to you, I don't know what is. It might as well be a billboard that says, talk to me, because they are, they are expressing something to the world and that's something that you can easily talk to them about. And so, you know, what we have to work on is talking to people I don't know about you, but sometimes talking to people about the Lord can be a little frightening for me. Is it for you? I mean, I don't know. I just know this. Once I get making friends with people and talking to people, I find that bringing up the Lord becomes much more natural. So, so I think we need to work that way as we build relationships with them. We start being friendly with them. We start talking with them. And then we can easily weave in God, the gospel. And then you might be able to say to them, and you say, can I pray for you about that? And I'll tell you this, as much as we say, well, we're living a secular culture, I've had no one say to me, you can't pray for me. Have you ever had that? 
People want you to pray. And so you, next time you see that person, even that person in the supermarket or, or the, at the gas station or wherever that might be, say, hey, you know, I was praying for you about that. Can you tell me how that is going? And then all of a sudden, you have defined yourself as someone different than the rest of the people who they interface with. So friend-making can lead to disciple-making. Amen? And so we need to be that way. And and it's funny because it's kind of a sad situation that we feel like the world is becoming worse and we're not realizing you're part of the solution for the world. And uh, so let's see now Jesus' sensitivity to others. And my point number two is reach out. Do something special for someone else. Jesus not not only hears the need, but he does something about about that. And this is just being a little sarcastic, but by the way, Jesus loves your mother-in-law and so should you. So that's what Jesus is going to minister to Peter's mother-in-law. Look what it says in verse um, 39 of chapter 4 of Luke. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. So you have to notice this about, this healing was immediate and complete. There was no question. It was faster than Tylenol, Advil, NyQuil, chicken soup, or whatever other remedies you espouse. And all those supplements and those oils and all that stuff. This is something very different, and this is something supernatural. And uh, I'll tell you this. Don't you wish we could do supernatural healing? Don't you wish we'd have this party over at the hospital and everybody would march out of there? Because that's the power that Jesus has. But you know, we don't have that power. And, but isn't it, just because we don't have that power doesn't mean that we shrink back from problems or difficulties. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. You know, we need, there are many things we can do to help someone, and we can build relationships with people, and we can talk to them. And even more important than talking to them, listen to them. Be slow to, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Our world needs people to listen to them and help them in some way that's meaning to them, meaningful to them. Even as, even as simple as making a meal or a gift or a card or just stopping in to say hello and them know that's the only reason you stopped in was to say hello to them and by certainly praying for them. We may not be the great physician, but we know the great physician, Amen. And that makes a difference. That makes a difference, and it makes a difference in their lives. So look out, reach out, and then number three, touch someone's life. Now you say, that's a little tough with COVID. You know, the closest I get is my elbow and six feet away to yell at you through the mask. You know, it's a little difficult. But look at verse 39, the second half. It says, immediately she, Peter's mother-in-law, rose and began to serve them. Look what this fine woman does as soon as she's healed. Peter's mother-in-law is the kind of living example of these verses from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared... Uh, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope and appearing of, our, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession that are zealous for good works. All that grace, all that interface with God, and what's the response? Zealous for good works. 
That's the response. And so it's that grace of God that inspires us to live right and reach out and to serve other people with good works. Now, we know we're not saved by good works, right? For by grace are we saved through faith. That's not of ourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. We know it's not that. But I'll tell you, just because you're not saved by good works doesn't mean you haven't been born for them. You've been born for them. In my guess, this fine woman had done a lot of serving before her sickness, so it was natural for her to get up and serve. She would say what we would say in our Christian nomenclature. She had a servant's heart. Amen? And uh, so I don't believe in any way that Jesus healed her so she could serve them, but she just chose to on her own. So often you've heard of those stories, and often you hear of someone who's taken a close shave with death or some serious illness, maybe been in the hospital for a long time or near death, and they say this, God must have kept me alive for some special purpose. Amen? The truth is, God has kept us alive, all of us alive, for some special purpose. Just sometimes we're distracted drivers, amen? We forget about what that purpose is all about. And so Jesus' work isn't done for the day in this passage. Look at verse 40. When the sun was setting, you've got to understand when it says when the sun is setting, you're talking about a place that doesn't have electric lights. So it's not a normal time to go out when the sun is setting because you're going to be in the dark soon. But it says when the sun is setting, all of those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he lays his hands on every one of them and he healed them. It's interesting when Mark recounts this this story in Mark chapter 1, he says this. He says, the entire city was outside the door. Wow, that's an impressive meeting. The entire city is outside the door. But notice, and this is my point, and I think part of what this passage is showing us, it was the healthy who were bringing the sick to Jesus. And they were driven by empathy and sympathy wanting to help their loved one or their friend. And so what was Jesus' response? It's interesting what Jesus' response, because Jesus just could have walked out the door and he says, you're all healed. You're all healed. That's what he could have done. But he doesn't do that, does he? What's it say that he did? He went to all the people and he touched them with his hand. Now, I don't know, do you long to have God in your life? Do you long to feel the presence of God? You know, when we go to heaven, the big deal about heaven is that Jesus is there, amen? In the flesh. And so, I'd put it this way. In COVID, it's like this, right? But with Jesus, it's like this. Jesus doesn't keep people at arm's length. Jesus brings the people within arm's length. And that's the kind of Savior I love, amen? And the kind of Savior who loves you. You know, I don't know about you, but most people don't like touching dirty stuff, right? Even before COVID, I'd notice people in our church, we'd greet people and insert people, get out that, that, that little uh, hand sanitizer. You can do that very quickly, by the way. Most people don't like touching dirty stuff, especially sick people. But if we are going to minister to people, we have to be willing to get our hands dirty. We really have to get interested in people, and we have to move closer to them. So I would just say this to you. Please understand where your mission field is. Where you go regularly is your mission field. 
And you'd say, Bill, well, you're going to be a missionary to Liberia. You know, that's the other side of the world. I've been going to Liberia since 2004. I feel quite comfortable in Liberia. It is a place that is a part of my regular world. And so your regular world is your mission field. And you're important to bring good and to bring life and the gospel to the people there. You know, what are the good works that God has foreordained that you should walk in them? And how does God want you to stand out in people's lives? And so don't just be another coworker. Don't be just another customer. Don't be just another neighbor or relative. You need to seek to build deeper relationships with people because God can use those relationships to save people. Amen? He, he can. So I would say, look out, reach out, and touch someone's life. But wouldn't it be great to have Jesus show up here in St. John's? Wouldn't it be great to have Jesus show up here in Michigan, a state and a people that I love? And wouldn't it be great for Jesus to show up in the United States and show up all over the world? And I just want to tell you right now, even in this state, Jesus has tens of thousands of his ambassadors who've invaded the state of Michigan. And if all of them decide they're going to reach out with the hand of Jesus to touch these people, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? So I want to talk to you about Liberia. Kathy, can you kind of come on up? Uh, Kathy and I are going to be missionaries to Liberia. Uh, Liberia is in West Africa. Liberia is about 84 degrees all the time, 90% humidity, like this morning here, but a lot hotter. And uh, Liberia is about the size of Ohio or Tennessee. It is the sixth poorest country in the world. And they've gone through a lot, and we just want to tell you what's going on in Liberia. Go ahead, Kathy. You can go to the next slide, please. Liberia has been through a lot. It says there there was a war there from 89 to 2003. They call it a civil war, but it really wasn't Liberians fighting Liberians. There were outside rebels. Muammar Gaddafi from Libya had financed some of those coming in, and former government employees had gathered a little rebel group. And so it was these rebels fighting each other and splintered groups of those, and the poor Liberian people were in the middle of all of that. Many of them left the countries. All of the missionaries at that time had to leave the country. Because uh, we just learned a recent statistic that we just learned uh, that Liberia per capita has the country with the most refugees that have left their country than any other country in the world. So that was amazing to us. And then they also, the other struggle that it said was that they had, they lived through Ebola in 2014, 2015. And oh, I forgot to say, during that war period time and then also during Ebola, no school was held. So there's almost like an entire generation that hasn't been schooled and many, if not most of them, are illiterate. Ebola, I know we're all nervous about COVID, but which has a 90% survival rate is the statistic I've heard. I know there's statistics everywhere. And, uh, but for Ebola, it was the opposite. There was a 90% mortality rate and only a 10% survival rate. So it was a very difficult time. Many Liberians died through both of those conflicts. Let's go to the next slide. Oh, in these different ways, we're going to talk about how we're going to reach Liberia and working with the national church there. And so go to the next slide. 
And one of the ways is through medical missions. This is a clinic that was actually started by ABWE. Right now, ABWE doesn't have missionaries in Liberia, so we are really going to help or restart their work there. But they started this medical clinic. It serves about 80 patients a day. People come in there for everything from... Uh, you know, diarrhea to the flu to typhoid fever and you name it. And they've got a lab there to test these people. We think they operate this clinic on about $18,000 a year. So we want to do a lot better for that, this clinic. And uh, go to the next slide. Oh, and this, this, they're giving some uh, vaccinations to these babies. These are twin girls and the mom and the grandmother are there. And you can step in anytime you want, Kathy. Yeah, I was going to say about 15 babies uh, are delivered there every month. And you can go to the next slide. They also have physician assistant school, and they train uh, uh, 40 physician assistants at a time. It's a three-year program. They train them not only medically, but also in evangelism. So that uh, as they're there and then when they graduate, they're given a satchel full of medicine to go to some of these unreached villages, hold some medical clinics free of charge, and t- can you tell them about the medical care over there in Liberia? Yeah, you know, we complain about medical care here. There's almost no medical care there. So when these evangelists go out who are PAs and give away free medicine, it gets everybody's attention, and they're literally saving people's lives at the same time. So they're very open. So preaching the gospel, showing the Jesus film, this is how churches get started. And we'll see actually one of those churches... Uh, locations here in a minute. That's the PA school where they train the 40 PAs in the three-year program. We're going backwards, I think. Yeah, this is just a picture of their computer lab. The students had left just a couple days before we were there. We took all of these pictures. We were there at the end of February. Next slide, please. Next picture. Now, this is a church building. Your church building seems a little bit bigger and a little bit nicer than this. (laughs) But just think, this happened because of a medical outreach. And all that is is a little cover, if you will, so the pastor's not standing in the beating sun. Seventy-five people meet there. And this is an example of, go to the next picture, I think. Uh, this is the next and there's another church. This church is in the middle of, sorry, can you say nowhere? <laughs> but it is. And they are dominated by evil, satanic religions there. But I just want to let you know that God is invading Satan's territory and he's planting churches where Satan has a foothold. And so the thing is, though, some of these younger pastors, the older pastors were all really well trained, but some of the younger pastors need pastoral further Bible training. So we're going to bring in modules with teachers, and we're going to bring these pastors together to teach them. But I just think it's exciting to be on the cutting edge of God really reaching into unreached people groups and to go into places that have been dominated with such evil things. We're going to show you a couple more pictures of a couple of churches. Next slide, please. This church is started in a, vis- in a village that um, mostly uh, the population is Muslim. And we found it interesting to learn that in, among the Muslim community, they had not heard of, do not practice, and the concept is foreign to them, of forgiveness. Forgiveness. They and didn't know what forgiveness was. Know. So when the missionary went in there, he had to explain what forgiveness was. They didn't know that concept. Right. Just think of that. Next slide, please. And this is the inside of that church. And right now they just have a dirt floor and they're hoping to get a cement floor. Next, please. This is where a church building is going to go. And this is another place that they reached out to. And now they're finally getting a church building. Next. And this is one of our churches in Monrovia proper. So that's a fancy church. But that child is asleep like some of you. (laughs) No, 
No. Don't want to disturb anybody. Uh, You'd never do that, I know. And like he said, this is in Monrovia, and it's in the greater Monrovia area that most, they have about half of the population live. Two and a half million. The other two and a half million live outside the uh, capital area. And English is the main trade language, if you will, and there's about 12 other uh, different tribal languages, and some of those are more predominant than others. Next picture. And these are the leaders of the AFBM, African Fundamental Baptist Mission. Now, their grandparents and great-grandparents came to Christ through Baptist mid-missions, which is really great. And so this is the heritage of Baptist mid-missions along with the work of ABWE. So the reason why we're with ABWE is because some of the more dynamic things that have happened in the country recently are works of ABWE. Otherwise, Kathy and I thought, should we go with Baptist mid-missions? And so it's just neat to be following in the footsteps of some super missionaries who gave their lives for people on the other side of the world. And when we were there in Africa, the gentleman you see in the black shirt with the white hair, that's Ron Washer, and he is over all of Africa for ABWE, and we were so glad that he was able to be. And a bunch of those guys are our good friends, yeah. so I don't have time to tell you who I know, they all I are. List them all off yes, just we don't have time for that. And this is actually the pastor of that church. That was the little lean-to that you saw. And we just have his picture there to remind you that these are really great people, but they do need more training. So we will bring pastors in with us to uh, teach these people. Oh, and you know what? I don't think we said when we were talking about the medical thing. We'll also bring teams of medical people over yes. there, too. Yes, we actually have a medical yes. team that's already lined up to go into in Liberia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then here's the pastor. That's the pastor of the, of the uh, Muslim, Muslim church. church well, you didn't say Muslim church. That wouldn't be right. Church right. in the Muslim community. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, Thank we're you. not starting Muslim Thank churches. No, sorry. Uh, next slide. Oh, there's Pastor Lionel. I don't think I'd support those people. <laughs> yeah, this is just an example. This guy is as nice as he looks, yes. by the way, and as friendly as he looks. But we, just, we have his picture because not only is he a great guy, but he speaks five languages. Yeah. So if you think we're going to go over there and be missionaries and be the smart people in the room, we're not. We are just hopefully the helpful people in the room. Next slide, please. And this is a conference that I spoke at, and this conference had like three to 500 people there. There was one interpreter on one side. I'd say one sentence, one interpreter, another interpreter. And it's neat because the AFBM has two biannual conferences. One, they always do in the Monrovia area because half of the people live in the greater Monrovia area. But then they always have the other conference at one of their church plants. And so here we are in this remote small village 300 to 500 crazy born-again Christians show up in this village. That makes an impact. And they were sharing the gospel, and the, the chief of the village got saved while we were there. Just unbelievable. Next, please. And they also, uh, th- years ago, Baptist Midmission started this Christian camp. But it has hardly been used at all since the end of the war in 2003, so a lot of the buildings are a little dilapidated. But the bones of the buildings are still good, cement-built dorms and cabins. But they need uh, all new roofs, right, new bunk beds. You're looking at the chapel right there, and typically this camp would have 100 uh, campers there every week. And listen to this statistic. 40% of the population in Liberia is age 15 and younger. So the impact that a Christian camp can have is just tremendous. And I grew up going to Christian camps, so I was all excited to see this camp because I just love it, and I know what it meant in my life. And even when we were traveling there with our friend who usually takes us around, his cousin was driving, and these are two 
big, strong, tough African guys. And so I always feel very safe when I'm with them. So here are these tough guys, but then they started talking about when they went to camp at that place when they were younger, and they were getting choked up and teary-eyed, and they're like, and that's where I dedicated my life to the Lord. And here they are now, serving God. So this is a special place and has a special history for them. So we hope that we can help them to revive this camp. Can you show a couple more pictures of that? Those are the, those are the cabins, and they, like I said, they all need new roofs, new doors, new screen windows. Next picture. This is in the back there. That's the outdoor kitchen of the camp. And then you can see some foundation stones there. That's where the um, dining hall used to be. It doesn't exist. My guess is probably for about $100,000, we can get this camp up and running at, at, at full st- steam ahead to help reach these kids for Christ. And uh, what's the next picture? This is inside the rec hall, so it's still there. And it's supposed to be open like that on the sides and the back, just for air circulation. It's hot in Liberia. Yeah, it's hot. Uh, next picture. And this is the swimming pool. Yeah, they said, oh, we've got a pool. Yes, like, oh, so it's interesting pool. because they actually grow fish in the pool, and then they harvest the fish uh, before camp. And then they, this, this actually had a high and low dive at one time. So it's really a nice uh, pond, if you will, but it's the shape of a pool with a deep end and a shallow end. And then what you're looking at across the way is the soccer field, and then you're looking at the local church that actually owns the property for the camp, but of course it's sat idle for years. But it's, what's also interesting is this soccer field was where the little plane used to land when the missionaries came into the interior. So that's the kind of people who are walking in their footsteps, and that's really exciting uh, to see. And then, go ahead, Kathy, you want to say about, talk about this? When we were there meeting with all their leadership and they were telling us their needs, everything they said, and most of the th- works we had seen were like, yes, we see how that's a need. Yes, that one, that makes sense. Yes, so they would list them off. We do not want to come in and tell them, well, we think you should start with this. Yeah. We want them, to pri- as a team, to prioritize their needs, and then we will help them. But one of the things that's a need that they mentioned toward the end of our meeting was about a radio station. They used to have a Christian radio station there. And, of course, radio can reach beyond where cell phones can go and it can, over there, it can do, it can reach the country. And they they told us how much they enjoyed the Christian music and the preaching and the reading of the Bible. And it wasn't until after we left that we kind of got it. We're like, well, that's right. I'm not too swift. (laughs) There's like a whole bunch of people who, because of the war, cannot read. So how can they read the Bible? So this way, from a radio station, you can transmit in the different languages, have different people there who can transmit and, you know, read the Bible, preach, and have Christian music. So... So what we thought was an extravagance actually is a very practical tool. And they do, many people have cell phones, but they just use those little cell phone cards and they're very poor. So they're never going to listen to podcasts or anything that's going to use a lot of data. They just use their phones for texting and for emergency phone calls. And then finally, the last pic, oh, this is a picture. You want to tell the story? Sure. Got to be quick. Okay. We were in the village, the interior village of Dumpa. We had never been there before. There's a wonderful church there, and we're sitting. We had gone, come there with a few other pastors, and we're all sitting around. And then Philip, the physician assistant director, all of a sudden he says, Wow, I can't even believe that boy is still alive. Well, that catches your t- attention. So we're like, What's going on? And so he talked to us, and he showed Bill along with the pastor and this grandmother. The grandmother is Edith. The boy's name is Blessing. Blessing is 11 years old. Blessing has a life 
life-threatening hernia. It is huge. And so we were moved by that. We're like, can anything be done? And Philip knew a doctor a couple hours away at a hospital. He sent him a couple of pictures, text, call. Can anything be done? The doctor said, yes, but it will cost $75. But to people who are subsistence farmers, when you have no money, $75 is out of touch. They might as well have said $10,000 because it was not going to happen. It's $75. So we said we need to do something. So we left them with the money for that and enough for them to, you know, get transportation and food on their journey. And a couple days after we got back, Philip uh, messaged us and said, blessing surgery went great, and he's back home. But the other reason why it moved us so much is guess who else at the age of 11 had a hernia and needed surgery? So, and he told blessing that. So Mm -hmm. we were so glad that God had us there at yeah. that time, before it became too late, and we were able to help him. So $100 saved his life. Yeah. That's what we're saying. And God had us there for that specific, had us there for a specific reason. Next picture is just to finish out with this girl. I love the picture of this girl. I took it some time ago. She is a strong, beautiful, young Liberian girl. But when you look at her face, tell me, is she facing a hopeful future, or is she facing a future with trepidation? And you can't tell when you look at her eyes. And I can tell you this, we hope as ambassadors for Christ that we will help to bring into our future a more hopeful future and something she can look forward to. If you'd pray for us, Kathy and I are between 46 and 49% of our support. And uh, so it would be important if you would pray for us about that. If you want to give to us to get to the field, that would be great. We would love to uh, partner with you in that. And I just want to say, Lord bless you, and we are so glad to be here today. Thank you.